0: this is the historians podcast i'm bob cutmore joined by dave green on the first uh, podcast of 2018 how you doing dave i'm just fine thanks for asking bob i thought that in this particular podcast the uh, the holidays sort of end with a well, they end with a boom or a whimper, one of the two, uh, and they, we kind of move on to what's going to happen for the rest of the year. But I thought that uh, I'd spend a little time uh, this morning, Dave, reminiscing. Love it. Well, I mean, we're, it's the Historians podcast. We like to talk about the past. And the one thing I, I wanted to bring up today, I do want to thank our good friend uh, Joyce Stah and the fine folks at RISE for carrying this broadcast on their uh, service uh, for the uh, blind and visually uh, impaired. And also in terms of thank yous, I'd like to thank all the contributors to the Historian's uh, Podcast Fund Drive, our GoFundMe campaign, which really uh, worked out very well in uh, 2017. We raised $4,130 in uh, 2017 uh, and i have got the list of the people here some of them i i don't know but the one that i i do know i'll them um, makes you know some <laughs> more words about them uh, and this is in chronological order here's how the contributions came in from susan brown and then from audrey and rob kupferberg i don't know if you've uh hear them uh, dave but uh they both live in amsterdam and they're both professors of movies. <laughs> I think you'd like to be a professor of movies, professors of film down at uh, University at Albany. And uh, more Rob, but both of them are frequently heard on uh, public radio, WAMC, uh, talking about the movies. And then um, Barbara Segan Gould, who is uh, one of my relatives, and she's been very kind to me over the years. She was really one of the Uh, bigger donors this year, and uh, she lives down in Connecticut. She'd worked in the pharmaceutical industry. Then uh, Norma Jean Qualls, who's a a great fan of the Weekly Focus on History column. Then Annette Berkovitz, who uh, we've interviewed a couple of times on the program, Dave. The last time, remember, we talked to her about the zoo. She had a very interesting picture on the uh, cover of her book. Yes, showing a, a mountain lion friend of hers, kind of, her a mountain lion that she yeah. worked with a lot. Of the N- nice animal. Don't uh, get too close. And then we come to John Loriello and his family. Uh, John has really been, uh, over the years, one of uh, my, my biggest benefactors. And he's always there when uh, some folks from the Amsterdam area uh, need financial uh, help for a, a worthy cause. Uh, John's a native of Amsterdam, but he lives in Birmingham, Alabama, where he's become uh, quite renowned in the real estate field. And again, he's often uh, called upon to uh, help people in his hometown of Amsterdam, New York. Other uh, contributors, uh, Mary Lou Reed, uh, Larry Sizdek, John Naple. Let me say a few words about John Naple. He's uh, very uh, involved with work at the Amsterdam Free Library, uh, where I also do some Uh, things. Uh, For example, we're doing our Amsterdam Reads program this year. Uh, John's quite an environmentalist. He's led tours of the Chuckton Under Creek uh, in Amsterdam, uh, up and down the the creek. As you might imagine, Dave, I've not gone on those tours. Mm -hmm. uh, Nothing to do with the great outdoors. (laughs) I know I'd be afraid of slipping and falling into the creek. And then Jim Richmond, who's also been on this uh, program. Jim uh, writes about the war on the middle line in uh, in Saratoga County. Elise Demboski, Don Papson, and uh, Don has been uh, with us. He's uh, co-authored a couple of books on the Underground Railroad. And Mike Hauser, uh, Mike is uh, very much uh, involved in Sports history up in uh, up in Fulton County. Then Tara Heim Norman, uh, she splits her time between uh, Florida and also uh, I think it's Lake Pleasant in upstate New York, where she and her husband spend uh, a good number of um, months in the warmer weather. And uh, Tara has uh, become an author herself. She wrote a book which we talked about uh, with her, called The Vindication of Lewis Roach where she took an old murder case and really investigated it and came to the conclusion that the wrong man was executed for the crime. David Mance, also a contributor. Uh, David uh, has frequently uh, commented on uh, the history uh, things that I write about or that we, we do. He was, he's especially interested in the origin of the name Tribes Hill, which could take us to the rest of the program if we started talking about it. Then there's Dave Northrup. Uh, Dave's also been on the, the program. He's an Amsterdam native and very generous to the podcast fund. His uh, latest book has to do, in fact, we're, we're going to talk about it in a moment when uh, I read a, a column from uh, Focus on History. Uh, he's written a booklet about a power plant, uh, which is near uh, Amsterdam. That's really a very beautiful building. Linda and Tom Hobbs, uh, Jack Moran, uh, Reverend Walter Smith. Ho- I'm hoping to uh, get in uh, a little bit of the reverend's writings. He is a rail fan. He's interested in railroad history. And uh, Reverend uh, Walter Smith was uh, with us uh, this past year. Also, another frequent guest and a contributor to the fund was uh, Peter Betts, uh, the uh, former Fulton County historian, professor emeritus at Fulton Montgomery Community College, and Pete uh, writes a column for the Leader Herald newspaper. Then there's Lynn Herzig, who uh, lives up in the Tug or grew up on the Tug Hill Plateau, wrote a book about growing up, and we had him on the show. Ken Garrick and Christina Baker Klein, really a famous author, and we've interviewed her a couple of times. Uh, She is uh, one, of the, one of her books, probably the best known, is the one about the orphan train. Uh, Rich Trotz, uh, Ken Garrick, Eleanor Brooks, uh, one of our contributors. Eleanor is the historian in the little town of Bleaker. I always seem to be drawn to writing stories about Bleaker, which is north of Gloversville in the southern Adirondacks. And then the colonel colonel dave uh, Traskus, retired uh very uh, interested in military and polish american history christopher kelly who uh, has been on uh, several times uh, christopher writes the books about america being invaded or america invading and and so forth tim and mary major frank yunker uh, frank yunker and i have uh, had uh, kind of a working relationship for over a decade yeah, he's the man who operates MohawkValleyWeb.com. He's a retired uh, com- uh, computer professor from Fulton Montgomery Community College. And uh, com is where my focus on history columns in, from the Daily Gazette Archive. Phil Weaver had an opportunity to meet him at some of the conferences I've attended in the recent years about the American Revolution. He's well known as a, a reenactor and uh, Provides supplies for people who do that kind of thing. Then Tony Benjamin, who was a former editor of the Amsterdam Recorder, he's now living out in Colorado. Uh, and uh, Tony and I used to uh, do talk shows together at an at an Amsterdam radio station. And then we had six people who were anonymous, and uh, the, it would be nice to g- give their names. Some of them. A uh, well-known, some not, uh, but they wanted to be anonymous, so they're anonymous. And now the new campaign is underway. <laughs> we have went ended one on to another. We're just starting our GoFundMe campaign for 2018. And if you want to give to that, you can go to GoFundMe.com forward slash historians 2018. Uh, that's uh, GoFundMe.com forward slash historians 2018 or as always send a check uh, made out to bob cudmore and send it to 125 horseman drive scotia new york 12302 and now on with the uh, with the show and i'm going to uh, read and and maybe chit chat with dave a little bit about the topics in a column from the uh, daily gazette my focus on history piece. Uh, This ran on the last uh, Saturday of the old year, and it takes a look back at 2017 highlights from the column, and the headline, Healy's Park, the Cannon at Fairview Cemetery, and other 2017 highlights. In 1924, Amsterdam barber Thomas Healy and his wife Edith bought land on Route 30 in Perth, where foxes had been raised for fur. They, they didn't want to raise foxes. What they wanted to do was create, really, an amusement park. They had a hired somebody to uh, dig out a pond for swimming. They built a pavilion for dancing and called the facility Healy's Park. According to Perth historian Sylvia Zirak, Healy's Park was one of the first uh, of these uh, like dance hall uh, facilities and and swimming holes if you will uh, and, and with other attractions we'll get to some of them in just a moment was one of the first that was built primarily to be serviced by automobiles and buses uh, before this time before 1924 the, these uh, amusement parks were often built by trolley car lines as there there was uh a facility in Amsterdam called Jolly Land, which is now Shuttleworth Park, or by a railroad. The Fonda Johnstown and Gloversville Railroad had built a big amusement park in the Adirondacks near Northville, uh, which ultimately uh, closed when that area was flooded for creation of the Sacandaga Reservoir. But Healy's Park was right there on Route 30, a few miles away uh, from Amsterdam. And Healy ran a shuttle bus to the park from Amsterdam to get people there. Others came in their own cars. And Sylvia Zirak notes uh, that Sunday concerts there were held with musicians seated on a raft in a small lake. I must say they did have some other activities there, according to some or a couple of newspaper clippings, or, uh, about the arrest of, well, three men. They were not hauled off to jail or anything, but they were just fined. One of them was Mr. Healy and the offense having a slot machine at one of the buildings at uh, Healy's Park. And that was, I believe, in the late 20s. When Prohibition was repealed in 1933, Healy opened a dance hall bar, which proved very popular, although there were some complaints about uh, parking and noise from some of the of the residents nearby although i imagine it was pretty uh, much a a secluded area at the time and another kind of well exciting and untoward thing happened at healy's park in 1934 several men were charged with trying to burn down the dance pavilion never did quite get the story behind the story as to why they did it the men were scared off when they were approached by Healy and by his uh, night watchman. The pavilion, the dance pavilion, uh, they, uh, things kind of changed. It became a roller skating rink in the 1940s, but the park continued. Mrs. Healy, Edith Healy, died in 1942, and Healy's park uh, continued after World War II, although Thomas Healy retired kind of from active management. But the park closed sometime in the late 40s or early 50s. I honestly never came up with a specific date for it. Thomas Healy died in 1966. And as uh, one gentleman who has a uh, website where he talks about uh, abandoned landmarks uh, said he thinks that Healy's Park was more famous as a ruin than as an operating facility. Because I remember it as a ruin. You know, when we'd be driving up uh, Route 30 going from Amsterdam up to Great Sacandaga Lake. You'd pass Healy's Park, and in, in some, depending on what year it was, there were still some of the things remaining, like the maybe the dance hall pavilion and, and, and other stuff. Eventually, the whole place was uh, bulldozed and its trees cut down for lumber. I don't imagine, Dave, you've gone much to dance hall pavilions, probably. No, I can't say. I can't say. Yeah, bud, but but does sound interesting. Yeah. I've seen a lot portrayed in the old uh, movies from the 30s. Yeah. Well, it was that kind of place. You know, people driving those big cars and uh, going up to a a place for fun on a Saturday night. The second story in the year-end column on Focus on History had to do with the cannon at Fairview Cemetery. Fairview Cemetery is in Amsterdam. A large cannon that marks the veterans' plot at Amsterdam's Fairview Cemetery was forged during the Civil War. City historian and military historian Robert von Hasselen wrote, quote, it was born, that is the cannon in 1864 in the fires of the cast iron forges of Builders Foundry in Providence, Rhode Island. Apparently never saw service in the Civil War, although it was built during the Civil War, and in 1877, this particular cannon was, I think the term is rifleized. It was converted into an 8 inch rifle. Before that, the cannon uh, was uh, a type of cannon called a Dahlgren gun, named for an Admiral Dahlgren who invented it. Uh, before it was converted to, or for, before it was rifleized, it, the cannon fired cannonballs, big, you know, round spherical cannonballs, which was state of the art in 1864. But by 1877, uh, naval technology or armament technology had advanced. And the, the thing now was the a rifle, not a rifle like you'd use for deer hunting or anything like that, but similar concept. It, it had an eight inch shell uh, that was fired from the cannon and, uh, and it spun as it, Went on its way to uh, its target, and that just apparently made it better. Well, anyway, uh, in 1877, this particular cannon was converted into an eight inch rifle, probably at the West Point Foundry in Cold Spring, New York. The gun finally did s- see naval service. Don't know if it was ever fired in anger at anyone, but It was placed on board various vessels including the uss monongahela the uss pensacola and the uss essex when fairview cemetery was established off steadwell avenue in amsterdam in 1899 members of the grand army of the republic the veterans organization for union soldiers uh, after the civil war the Grand Army of the Republic, it was usually called the G.A.R., wanted to create a veterans burial plot at Fairview Cemetery, as they had created one at the Green Hill Cemetery uh, in Amsterdam. In 1906, the Reverend Putnam Cady of Emanuel Pest- Presbyterian Church on Guy Park Avenue in Amsterdam kind of took up the cause of the cannon. He gave uh, talk about his world travels, which raised funds to ship and mount the gun in Amsterdam. And one personal note that uh, Robert von Hasselen uh, was was telling us uh, is that he, von Hasselen, and his wife, Maria Ricky Bryce, live in the house on Guy Park Avenue in Amsterdam where Reverend Katie used to live. That's the story of the cannon at Fairview Cemetery. And then another story in our uh, year-end wrap-up issue had to do with the beautiful power plant. One striking architectural landmark in our area is a former coal-burning power plant on the Mohawk River Barge Canal in the town of Florida and of Amsterdam. Dave Northrup, who i mentioned in in our contributors list, Dave Northrup has written an illustrated booklet called Adirondack Power and Light, Amsterdam Steam Generating Station. Work began on this facility in 1920. The architects were McKim, Mead, and White of New York City, apparently the same folks that designed Grand Central Station. At first, the steam plant had just two smokestacks. In 1923 the building was expanded to its current size with four smokestacks now this building is on the south side of the mohawk river but the best best view of the structure is from the north side Uh, you see it as you travel along route five or you see it as you travel on the train tracks if you're a rail passenger uh, you see it from from there if you're on the right side of the train of course uh, as the train passes through cranesville on the other side of the mohawk river and especially years ago when they lighted this at night it was really beautiful we, the, the other day uh, audrey and i well we drive by there frequently now and uh, there was some light on on the building and it still looks uh looks pretty nice it really uh, hasn't deteriorated because even though it's been abandoned by the power company it's still in use and let me explain uh, because of increased reliance on hydroelectric power, this uh, power plant just east of Amsterdam stopped generating electricity in 1950. It just sat there for a long time, but ultimately, in 1964, the building was purchased by Cranesville Block Company, and they use it for manufacture and storage of uh, stone products. Have you ever seen that, Dave, on Route 5? Yes, I power have. Plant. The uh, people on the trains, like back uh, Dave, in his booklet, has a, a quote from uh, a, a rail passenger who was just, you know, just astounded because you figure you're traveling, you know, through upstate New York, you aren't seeing an awful lot if it's dark out, and all of a sudden there's this building and almost <laughs> it looks sort of like that. I don't know. I was going to say the Taj Mahal, but it's uh, it was quite a sight in, the, in its day. And the last column or the last uh, section of uh, the column which had to do with uh, the highlights of 2017 in focus on history reed hill's favorite teacher florence dobrowski collins lived most of her life in the house where she grew up on amsterdam's Pulaski street born in 1911 the dobrowski family had come to america from Torin, poland the birthplace of copernicus her given first name was long and according to her son, she decided to, instead of using her real first name, call herself Florence, because she of a neighbor woman who had that name. Florence worked 40 years as a fourth and fifth grade teacher at Roman Avenue Elementary School. She married uh, Henry Polierski in 1939. Henry died in 1943. She married her second husband, postal worker Andrew Collins in 1951, their son, David Collins, became a pediatric anesthesiologist. Teaching reading was one of her specialties, both to her classes, and she also taught English as a, a second language to the city immigrants in Amsterdam. One high point in her career was in 1955 when she and her class, and I must say I was in that class, produced two programs on the Eskimos of Alaska for WRGB television. When Florence Collins walked home, she was sometimes accompanied by an honor guard of her her students. She was so popular. She retired from the school system in uh, 1976. Before her death, she had moved to a facility in Pennsylvania uh, near her son and daughter-in-law. She died uh, April 8th of 2017 at age 105. And those uh, are the, or that's the the story from my last uh, column of 2017 for the Daily Gazette. Focus on history, looking back at uh, some of the uh, history highlights. You're listening to the Historians Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore, along with uh, uh, Dave Green, uh, standing by, and we have a few minutes left. Just want to uh, read some of a column uh, written by. Uh, one of the contributors uh, to our program we interviewed the the gentleman reverend walter smith who's uh, a minister up in the north country of uh, new york state but he's well known i would say to thousands of rail fans who are readers of the Bridgeline historical society newsletter he writes the uh, column reminiscing about being a rail fan he just likes to watch trains and uh, his uh, his most recent column in the Bridge Line uh, was titled "The Lady and the Trains." Most readers know that on March nineteenth of this year, my wife died. Betty Collar Brown Smith was ninety years old. We'd been married over fifty-five years. She'd been ill for a long time before her last death. I was touched to receive. Greetings from the Bridgeline fraternity, the time of her passing. Three friends sent mass cards. I was particularly moved by these expressions of faith. Thanks to everyone. The above is an introduction to an experience that has been lived out by almost everyone who reads this column. The adjustment every spouse has when they are married to a rail fan. Betty had at one time been an employee of Western Union and had ridden several trains in the late war years. But to her, a train was not a thing of romance. It was simply a method of transportation. She'd never met anyone who loved trains for their own sake. She didn't catch on at first. When I would come to visit her in the evening, I always left just before a train to St. John and Halifax would come whistling up through the college town of Orono, Maine. Even on our honeymoon, she didn't seem surprised that we ate breakfast in the sprawling Canadian Pacific Depot at McAdam, New Brunswick, with a switcher outside the window, banging cars and making up a couple of uh, freights. She knew I owned an HO American Flyer train set, but supposed this was a childhood hangover. But uh, Reverend Smith uh, goes on to say what really brought out the truth was a visit From the late Bob Buck and his family to our home in Maine over one weekend, Bob brought a camera and projector and boxes of rail slides, the then favorite medium of rail fandom. We watched hours of slides, commenting on them while Betty stood aghast at the kitchen door. She told me later that she was thinking, my God, they're serious about this. The next year, we were living in New Hampshire, where I was serving two churches. I've told the story before at a reception for the new pastor, me, at the Bath Congregational Church, as we stood holding cups of punch and munching cookies, the unmistakable sound began to be heard over the roar of the, of the river that was in the area. She said, I declared loudly, it's a train, and I headed for the door, bolted for the door. A half dozen men followed to watch a Boston and Maine uh, train pass on the other side of the river. The reception proceeded with no further interruptions, but afterward, I was told sharply that I had surprised people. It wouldn't be the last time. And as Reverend Smith uh, notes, his wife uh, did pass away uh, in uh, 2017, and they did go on a whole bunch of train trips together together. Uh, they never did make uh, another trip to, uh, out to the west uh, but uh the reverend smith ends the column by saying how he is now uh, getting together or, or or planning for a big trip out west to visit uh, his late wife's relatives actually on uh, amtrak uh, and he will be passing through our area on the lake shore limited So that's the story of Reverend Walter Smith uh, from reminiscing in the Bridgeline Historical Society. And I know you like trains, Dave. I I do love trains. I do admit it, Bob. You also hired me as your timekeeper. We've got about 20 seconds. All right. Well, I think it's uh, it's time to draw the curtain on this first Historians podcast of 2018, We look forward uh, to having you be in, in the audience for us as the year continues. Uh, this has been the Historians Podcast. This is Bob Cudmore.